Welcome to the Ram Iyer Podcast with your host, Ram Iyer, thought leader, author, keynote speaker, workshop leader, and mentor. Listen to his engaging conversations with experts from across the world and his personal insights that will help you create a better life, become more successful, and achieve your personal greatness. Now, here's Ram! Welcome to Business Thinking Radio. I'm Ram Iyer, your host and president of the Business Thinking Institute in Princeton. Today's show is how engineers can become great business leaders. A conversation with Paul Rolkins, engineer and author of the upcoming book, How Successful Engineers Become Great Business Leaders. He comes to us from Maastricht in the Netherlands. You know, Netherlands, as you may know, a third of the country is below sea level and it has fended off mighty oceans for centuries while building a prosperous country. It has one of the most sophisticated anti-flood systems in place anywhere in the world. I thought that would be a good backdrop to talk to an engineer from the Netherlands. Today, we'll get a sneak peek into the key ideas behind Paul's new upcoming book. Paul, a large number of business leaders are engineers, yet the failure rate amongst engineers is just as high as that of non-engineers. Whether you choose to be an engineer, engineering manager, or become a business executive or an entrepreneur, there are certain keys to success in business. So we'll focus on how can more engineers become more successful in business while avoiding failure. We'll find out from Paul, the expert. Paul was originally trained as a chemical engineer, and his work is based on his personal knowledge and experience in the practical applications of behavioral psychology, neuroscience, and especially common sense in business. He has given two TED Talks, both of which have been well-received. So welcome, Paul. Uh, Thank you, Ram. Was I accurate in what I said about you and the Netherlands? Absolutely. And uh, I think you're right about the engineering tradition. The funny thing is analysis, most of the analysis is below sea level. So we, we have a lot of engineers building dikes and understanding how waterworks work. Correct, correct. And you have a lot of pumps that pump out water all the time, which if they fail, the country would be in big trouble. Yeah, I will get uh, wet feet here, Ram. (laughs) Excellent, Paul. As you know, many engineers seek to become business leaders or they try to get promotions into business roles. Many of them fail. Are there reasons why engineers fail in business? Are they any different from the reasons why non-engineers fail? Maybe I turn this question around. I see many engineers succeed. If you look at, for instance, Fortune 500, over 30% of the CEOs in Fortune 500 companies, they have engineering backgrounds. So the interesting thing is that many engineers succeed in doing that. What I found is that the engineers who succeed versus the engineers who fail, there's a distinction. There are a couple of things they do differently. And generally speaking, first of all, what they do differently is they build on strength. And so they understand mm. what the strengths are, and then they expand their strength, eh? because they know that if you do the opposite, which is try to compensate your weaknesses, uh, you'll not end with a large set of stre- strengths, but a large set of strong weaknesses. And uh, that, that's clearly not a recipe for leadership. Eh? So they are very focused on strength. That's one thing. The second thing which I see, what they do is they focus on getting rid of behaviors that mask strength. Some behaviors are more typical for engineers, and often those behaviors are associated with bringing your strength to a context where it is not helpful. Can you give me Um, an example of that, Paul? 
one of these behaviors I call this Mensa madness. Mensa is a society for smart people. Now, generally speaking, engineers are smart. Uh, but sometimes what you see, uh, an engineer tries to be smart instead of successful or effective. Mm. In other words, mm. the conversation turns into a competition between uh, who is the most intelligent instead of how mm. can I help. And that's typically behavior you simply need to stop. Don't do it. Uh, it's not helpful for your leadership. So that's, that's an example mm. of that one. The third distinction between successful engineers and less successful engineers is that the successful engineers which grow to business leaders they start early with focusing on business development, uh, which is to grow a business and to bring in business. And once mm. you start doing that, all of a sudden you're exposed to uh, many other elements of business, uh, which can help you to be more effective as a leader. The third one is the one that sticks in my mind. One of the big issues with many engineers, not all, obviously not all, is they don't have high social skills. And if, for example, as you know, I, I graduated from MIT. And at MIT, between the fall quarter and the spring quarter, there's what's called the winter break. At MIT, it's called IAP, Independent Activities Period, where people can do whatever they want. And there are some people who choose to remain on campus. And you know one of the things that MIT offers to people who remain on campus? Charm school. What they do is they teach you how to, you know, how to speak to somebody else within, in a networking situation, how to work a room, how to dress how to eat, you know, how to sit at a table, how to have a business conversation, etc. And depending upon how many of these courses you take over your time at MIT, you will either get a bachelor's degree in charm, a master's <laughs> degree in charm, or a PhD in charm. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So the reason I'm going there is you point out in your third point that business development, learning ways to bring in revenue and grow the top line of the business is an important place for engineers to start. But given the social limitations of many engineers, that becomes a huge obstacle. This is what I see. Generally speaking, one of the things is engineers are not damaged. I always think mm -hmm. engineers do not need fixing somehow. What happens is they sometimes might have less experience in social environments. And the interesting thing is once you expose yourself to experience, you have the ability to learn very quickly. And I think that's one of the strengths of engineers, that they quickly understand the method to the madness. Yeah, there's a method to the madness how to persuade people. There's a method to the madness how to sell things. There's a method to the madness how to, to set up a, an effective uh, a marketing system. I think there are two tricks. First of all is to make sure it's not some kind of technique. So you need to be authentic. And the second thing is to make it very pragmatic, built on those skills, those habits, those behaviors, which actually mask your strength. For example, if you have difficulties persuading people, then look at your behavior. What is it in my behavior which doesn't help me to persuade people? And then get rid of that behavior. So that's, that's usually a pragmatic approach, how engineers can grow quickly in the more social aspects of business. So what you're saying is, look at what is holding you back, and if you get rid of that, your strengths will come to the front anyway. Absolutely, and it's always about behaviors. Which behavior is helpful in the situation and which behavior is not helpful in this situation? For example, one of the behaviors I often see with engineers is that, that they make a point, but they don't make the point in a very subtle way, and we call this landing without skill. The metaphor here is if you're a pilot, it's important to land a plane in one piece. But if you do it without skill, then you land your plane in one piece, but you have passengers who are completely have nausea in the plane. Mm -hmm. And that's not something you want. So landing with skill 
is an element which is important for engineers to mm -hmm. persuade and convince people. Looking at your mm -hmm. behavior, which behavior will help you to land a message with skill and which behavior doesn't help you. And once you understand that behavior, then you can change. Your upcoming book is about how engineers can become great business leaders. So whether the people who are listening, the person listening is an engineer or not, so what are the strengths that engineers have that makes them suited for business roles? What could make them successful? I think there are three basic strengths, which you see actually with almost every engineer. Uh, mm -hmm. The first strength is what I call reality-based thinking. That is the ability to understand reality and based on understanding reality, make proper judgment. It's a strength which is important for engineers because if you don't have that strength, if you're not into reality-based thinking, your bridge will collapse. So reality-based thinking is mm. very important for engineers. So that's one strength. The second strength is uh, what I call process design. What I mean by that is if you talk about business, there's always a method to the madness. There is a successful way of doing marketing. There is a successful way of doing sales. There is a successful way of uh, running projects. With process design, once you understand the successful ways, once you understand the steps, you can improve. Uh, so that gives you the power to improve. So that's the second strength. And the third strength, uh, which I see, is the ability, uh, which I call accelerated learning, which is mm -hmm. the ability to learn quickly based on, uh, especially feedback from reality, but also based on designing a learning process. That's interesting because that explains why you see very few lawyers becoming an engineer, but you see many engineers becoming lawyers and grow into, for instance, the patent field. They apply accelerated learning to understand the method to the madness of other professions as well, and once they absorb that, they can apply it and use it to their advantage. So I think these three strengths, which is reality-based thinking, process design, and accelerated learning, is typically what you see with engineers. So the first thing, what you labeled as reality-based thinking is basically pragmatic thinking. Absolutely. I'm going to do what makes sense, you know, not because it's exotic, it's because you know, I know it'll work. Second thing is many people look for shortcuts. Tell me the one key to success. Right? And as, right. as we all know, there is no one key to success. And right. engineers understand that success requires a process. Yeah. So this, the ability to design a process or follow a process or understand that outcomes come from a process, I think is probably a big strength of engineers, you know, because they're not looking for the one key to success. Right? And the third thing, you know, I, I remember a month or so ago, I interviewed the head of open learning at MIT. He said two things. One is he said the number one requirement to be a lifelong learner is curiosity. Yeah. So when an engineer fails at something, the first thing he wants to know is, why did it fail? Right? He's curious <laughs> to find out. The moment he finds out why it failed, he now knows at least one reason why it won't. This reminds yeah. me of Edison, I think, who said, I have not failed. I have found 10,000 ways it will not work. And you're right, because as they learn, you know, seek out lessons from failures, they learn, and the more you learn, the better you become at learning, and therefore your ability to learn accelerates. I want to add to what you're saying. I think it's very important to learn from failures, huh? because that's the quickest way to learn. You, you probably will, will learn less from your victories and learn more from your failures. So the more you fail, the more you learn. But in business, there's a corollary to that one, uh, which is also to learn from things that shouldn't work but are working very well. There's an interesting question you can ask as a business. Hey, you're looking at my business. What is working? What shouldn't work in the first place? And hmm. once you understand, hey, this is working, this is the reason why it works, what is it that you can do to expand on this feature or strength or whatever it is? 
And, and that's often a good way to innovate. So when it comes to business roles, you know, you've guided many engineers to success in business. What are the weaknesses of engineers that make it challenging for them to see in business roles? I think you need to separate contextual weakness from behavioral weaknesses. I think there are two different categories. Let me focus on the contextual weaknesses first, which is uh, often engineers start uh, at an engineering job. And the requirement for an engineer job is to specialize, to become better at what you're doing already. And often what you see is that engineers spend a decade or so uh, to specialize, understand the entire matter, and become very successful. The problem is if you then want to expand your thinking, expand your horizon, it's more difficult. Once you spend 10 years or 20 years in the trenches, it's much more difficult. So I think that's a weakness, the thinking that by diving deeper, becoming better at your niche, you automatically prepare yourself for leadership. That mm. is not necessarily mm. true. So that's a contextual thing. The way to deal with that is to find a balance between becoming better at the job you're having as an engineer and at the same time start to bring in business. And there again, we have business development as a mm -hmm. key activity for any engineer. So that's one thing, the contextual thing. And the other thing, those are the behavioral things. I call these kryptonite habits. It's based after kryptonite, which is the fake element that would nullify Superman's superpower. Now, what I mean by that is that the engineers sometimes have those habits which are not helpful in the context they're operating. We have already talked about lending without skill. We have already talked about men's up madness. But in my mm -hmm. book, I mentioned 10 additional habits mm -hmm. where you typically see that they apply their strength to the limits or in the context where it is not applicable. Mm -hmm. These are the two areas mm -hmm. where engineers need to be aware if they want to become business leaders. Choose a context and behave in a context uh, according to your strengths, but don't spike your strength in such a way that's no longer helpful. Are there any particular kinds of behavioral weaknesses that engineers have that keep showing up in your work over and over again? One is interesting, uh, that is a strength issue is both a weakness, uh, which, which I call leading with logic. Leading with logic uh, means that persuasion starts with arguments uh, based on reality, process design, accelerated learning, etc. So logical arguments. What engineers find, however, is that logic makes people think, but emotions make people act. And logic is a very important part of an argument, but it is the emotion, the what's in it for me, how will this goal help me, how will this piece of action, of course, of action help me as a leader or decision maker, that's the key to take the next step. What it means is that leading with logic is the behavior that you apply more logic to bring across your point, while more logic is no longer the issue. It needs to be focused on emotion instead. Because see, business is all about outcomes at some point, right? Right. So the, the logic, you know, basically starts or catalyzes a process of thinking. It may take a while for them to get to a point where they say, oh, so, and Paul, I see what you mean. Yes, I will go with that. What you're saying is instead they need to learn how to evoke emotion. That will take them to the outcome much faster. Ram, you're absolutely right. And I think what is always helpful is to understand that behind every business goal, uh, there is mm -hmm. some personal goal. There's always a personal goal. And once you understand mm -hmm. the personal goal, you understand the emotions behind the goal, and you understand how to persuade people to your ideas or course of action. You talked uh, about achieving goals, and you said there are three building blocks of achieving goals, uh, having clarity, having focus, and having the ability to execute. 
So are engineers inherently able to achieve big goals? A resounding yes. I think goal achieving is part of what engineers do. They create stuff and by definition it's about achieving goals. The interesting thing is once you understand what goal achieving is all about, make it more granular, you, you all of a sudden see that there are basically three building blocks. And engineers may apply or may look into those three building blocks consciously or subconsciously. And let me explain a little bit on this one. The first one is, is clarity. And clarity is about being very clear what success looks like. Uh, having a picture of your mind, this is where I want to go. And sometimes we call this a vision. But a vision is not enough. You also need to make a connection. Because no single goal has ever been achieved in isolation. Uh, so you always need other people for that. So clarity is very important. Uh, that's the first one. The second one is focus. And focus is based on the idea that there are a million ways to achieve a goal. But there are only a few ways which are fun takes less energy and are elegant or connected to your strength. So focus is about choosing the root solution. And the third element is execution. So once you've you got a vision, once you make a connection, once you've chosen the root solution, how can you ensure that every single day uh, you continue to move towards achieving your goal? Taking rhythmic actions every single day. So these three elements help engineers and especially business leaders who become, I call this, unstoppable goal achievers, uh, hmm. changing things and making things happen. When I read through that section, you were talking about one of the biggest obstacles to goals is what you labeled as the valley of death. What is that? The valley of death is uh, what happens with your energy and enthusiasm. Uh, between setting a goal in your head and achieving that goal in the real world. The first moment you set a goal, wow, I want to grow my business. Your energy, enthusiasm is very high. The mm -hmm. next step is you share this goal with others and they become enthusiastic as well. Mm -hmm. And so your energy only increases. But then the work mm -hmm. starts. And what you typically see is that the bigger the goal, the bigger the obstacles. And once people start to face obstacles, you see it drains the energy. You reach a certain plateau. Only at the end, when your success is inevitable, your energy enthusiasm will go through the roof. And the reason that we call this the value of death is that in this plateau where you start facing the obstacles, that's where many great ideas, initiatives, they simply die. It's a graveyard of ambition. <laughs> and the reason, by the way, is what we call an interesting phenomenon, procrastination. We know that we need to do something, we're not doing it, and we're feeling miserable about it. That's what procrastination is all about. So people start to procrastinate, and then uh, at a certain point in time, there's no progress on the goal anymore, and, and you see a goal simply dies. And how are engineers uniquely able to overcome the value of that? Are they, do they have any inherent traits that help them? I think they can build on their strength. First of all, the first thing they can build on is reality-based thinking. And the most important part of reality-based thinking here is that once you set a goal, you will know that you have to cross the valley of death. You will face obstacles. So you're not mm -hmm. surprised and you can be prepared. The second thing is uh, they can use the strength of, uh, of process design. And process mm -hmm. design is to design a process to have options to cross the valley of death. So what I mean with options is you, you set a goal, but there are many options to achieve the goal. And mm -hmm. if you have multiple options to achieve a goal, once you are crossing the valley of death and you hit a wall with a certain option, you go to the next option. And once you hit a wall there, you go to the next option. So developing options is very important to cross the valley of death. And I think because of process design, engineers are excellent at developing options to move further. The first thing is accelerated learning. And accelerated learning uh, is about judgment to understand uh, when you have to let go of an option and go to a new option. Letting go is often difficult and hard, but with accelerated learning, understanding the feedback from reality, I see that engineers are quite good at making that decision. Let's go to another option because this is not going to work.
the third thing you talked about was, you know, the execution part. The first one, of course, is, you know, about your vision, your having clarity about what you want to do. Second thing is focusing on it. Third thing is you need to make it happen. You know, as you were pointing out earlier, the way to get to the outcome, which is what business focuses on. There, I read something interesting you wrote there about strategic quitting. Right. What is right. strategic quitting? Yeah. Strategic quitting is based on the idea that your ability to succeed equals your ability to quit. It's a metaphor. And the metaphor is the metaphor of the monkey bar. When we were children, uh, we had a, a play tool. It's called a monkey bar, a set of horizontal mm-hmm. bars hanging in the air, and children move from mm-hmm. bar to bar while hanging in the air. And what those children learn is while they are hanging in the air, you have to let go in order to reach out. So you have to let go with one hand in order to reach out to the next bar. Mm-hmm. And that's the metaphor which explains strategic quitting. If you set a new goal, by definition, the first question you need to ask yourself is what is it that I'm going to quit in order to free up time, energy, and often money to achieve that new goal? Mm. So Mm. strategic quitting is proactively getting rid of activities which no longer serve achieving that goal. And Mm. uh, by doing that, you free up time, energy, and money that can be spent on achieving that goal. Now, the thing about strategic quitting is a bit counterintuitive because that's not how many uh, business leaders or corporations work. Uh, Typically, what they do is uh, they, they launch a new strategic plan where the message is, let's work harder. And that typically causes a lot of stress in the organization. People are overstretched. Uh, Performance actually drops. So at a certain point in time, executives decide, okay, we need to quit something. And then strategic quitting comes into the picture. Uh, But actually then it's too late because you already uh, stretch your organization. And the question is if if you achieve your goals. This explanation reminds me of a very classic problem that I had when I moved up as an engineer into the uh, managerial and executive ranks. And I suspect many other people face this, which is, you know, I just moved from being an engineer to an engineering manager. And what gave me joy was being an engineer. What got me respect was the good engineering that I did. But if I stop being an engineer, maybe people won't respect me as much. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. But I need to give up a whole bunch of that engineering, day-to-day engineering, in order to be an engineering manager or a yeah. business executive. Ram, I think that the fundamental concept, what, what has got you here, will no longer get you there. If you want to have results you've never had before, you need to start doing things you've never done before. But by definition, you have to stop things you're doing right now. And that's, that's what strategic quitting is all about. You see, if you're an engineer and you want to get out of that engineering silo, if you will, right, the engineering function, and you want to have cross-business responsibilities, you need to start mingling with and understanding other functions such as sales and marketing and operations and finance, etc. Many engineers, I think, tend to hold on to their engineering for far too long and don't spend enough time learning the other silos or other functions and therefore don't have enough breadth to get into senior business management roles. Ram, I think that's an interesting observation, and, and I think that is true. It's also what is my experience. What I've seen is that the engineers who are able to turn into successful business leaders, what they do is they quit being an engineer, uh, but they understand the strength uh, that they have as an engineer, and they start applying those strengths to other parts of the business. So quitting the engineer doesn't mean giving up the strength. It means understanding the strength, but using the strength in a different way, in a different context, in a different environment. And that makes them very, very successful. In terms of leveraging engineering strengths, 
you had a piece that I read where you said, adopt a spear tip, not a tidal wave. What do you mean by that? Here's the thing. The trick here is if you want to achieve big goals, to be very clear of what the goal will look like. Focus on one goal and ensure that you get this goal done in the shortest amount of time. So the idea of a spear tip is to identify the goal. The second step is uh, identify the behavior. And that's based on the idea that you will never get the new results that you want from the behaviors that you like. In other words, every goal, there is an association with a different behavior. So which behavior do I need to build in myself, in my team? So that's the second step. Huh? So which goal do I want to achieve? Which behavior do I need to build? And the third step is what can I achieve in 100 days? Yeah? Mm -hmm. And how do I need to set up myself, my organization, my leadership to make it happen? That's what I call uh, selective strategy execution, which is basically a spear tip. If you <laughs> have a goal which is worthy of your effort, then focus on that goal as a spear tip and make it happen. Mm -hmm. and try to make it happen in the shortest amount of time. Uh, instead of 10 or 15 different goals, which take a long, long time to achieve. You know, another thing that I ran into was be a trim tab to change an entire organization. What is a trim tab? Uh, yeah, a trim tab is a concept from ship. If you look at an oil tanker, uh, an oil tanker has a big rudder. And if an oil tanker is moving and you want to shift the course of an oil tanker and you just move the rudder, the forces on the rudder will be so big that it probably will break. Mm -hmm. So what the engineers have done, they built a small rudder in the big rudder. If you want to move an oil tanker, you change the trim tab. The trim tab changes the big rudder, and then the big rudder changes the oil tanker. So the idea is that with a little change, you can initiate big changes in your entire organization. So the trim tab is a metaphor. And in the end, uh -huh. the metaphor is about behaviors. What you need to realize as a leader is that the, the minimum effective behaviors you show yourself uh, are the maximum effective behaviors you can expect from other people. Say, for instance, uh, you focus as a leader on a distinction I call this uh, agreements. And agreements okay. are once we agree on doing something, we ensure that we make it happen. And if we can't, I would like to know beforehand that it's not going to happen. I don't want to be surprised. That's an agreement culture, and that's a mm -hmm. behavior. Now, if you want to instill an agreement culture in an organization as a leader, uh, the fastest way to doing that is to increase your own standards when it comes to making and uh, keeping agreements. Because your standards are, the, the minimum of your standards are going to be the maximum standards that other people will adopt. For example, if you are a leader, agreements are important, but you continue to not uh, fulfill your promises then this is not going to be a culture you will build in the organization. On the other hand, if as a leader you are very fastidious in doing that, you will see that other people start to adopt your behavior, you become a role model, and this is how you can change an entire organization. So this goes back to, I, I don't remember who said this, I think it may have been Gandhi, who said, be the change that you want to see in others. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's a great metaphor. Uh, and, and for a leader, it's very important. Be the change that you want to see role model the change, but also realize you are on a fishbowl and everything counts and everyone knows everything. And the trim tab that you're referring to are the small things that you do Correct. that have a huge leverage over the big changes that you want the organization to make. Correct. I heard a rumor, Paul, that you have a very mean Arnold Schwarzenegger impersonation. <laughs> what, what, is, what is your best line? 
<laughs> yeah, that would always be, uh, I'll be back. And <laughs> that's how I finished some of my keynotes. The joke was I had been trained as a stand-up comedian in the past, and it was in the U.S., and for me it was very easy to do an Arnold Schwarzenegger in, uh, impersonation, uh, to, uh, to, to be a little bit of a stand-up comedian. So that's, that's why I make a, a mean Arnold Schwarzenegger impersonation. So I want to hear it. Hasta la vista, baby. I'll be back. <laughs> Excellent. Paul, you know, as you look back on your life, what is the one thing that you have heard or learned when you were younger that guides you in your professional life even today, every single day? One thing that has always struck me is you don't have to be ill in order to become better. That's a bit of a philosophy of mine. And in other words, I, to me, it's fascinating to improve. It's fascinating to help others improve. But let's start from a position of strength and see how you can take the next step. For me, it has always been helpful to be comfortable with my own strength, build on those strengths, and look at my own behaviors that might mask the strength, and what can I do to improve there as well. So you don't have to fail in order to succeed. You can succeed from wherever you are. But it requires a step, and it requires the courage to test, the courage to move, and the courage to experiment and do different things and step into the unknown, and to cross mm -hmm. the valley of death. And once you start doing this more often, you become uh, more comfortable with that concept. And then it is also easier to do it with bigger and bigger goals. Correct, because it accelerates your learning like an engineer. Yeah, like an engineer, indeed. <laughs> Excellent. Paul, many, many thanks for taking time to come on uh, Business Thinking Radio. I enjoyed our discussion, and I look forward to having you back as you glean more insights from the minds of engineers and write your next book. Excellent, Ram. A pleasure to be here. Thank you for listening to Business Thinking Radio. If you'd like to comment on this episode, please send an email to podcast at businessthinking.com. This is Ram Ayer signing off. Thank you for listening to the Ram Ayer podcast. Every week, we bring you the thought-provoking and practical conversations to help you become better, smarter, and more successful, helping you achieve your personal greatness. All from the perch of Ram Ayer, the thought leader, author, keynote speaker, workshop leader, and mentor. If you want to comment on this episode, please email us at podcasts at mitramaya.com. If you want to listen to previous episodes, please visit www.mitramaya.com forward slash podcasts. Or find the Ram Ayer podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and wherever fine podcasts are uploaded.